This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. When you hear the word Armageddon, what does it do? What does it do to your mind? What does it do to your heart? How do you feel? What is your general response, your immediate response to the word Armageddon? How about the word nuclear? What would be your immediate response to that? If you were to read a report, as I just did, that tells us that China and Russia and North Korea are all moving forward with a very significant nuclear development, while the Joe Biden administration is refusing to follow through in America with the same kind of thing, what would that do to your thinking? What arises in your mind would it be fear if it would be fear indeed you would have the most natural response that one could probably expect the word armageddon the word nuclear they just engender fear but the bible says that fear has torment so how are we to deal in a world that is continually bombarding us with the triggers of fear and not be tormented. That's what we want to talk about here today on Viewpoint, and I'm glad that you've joined us. Again, as always, it's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And indeed, we need some sort of transformation, don't we? In fact, this whole idea of fear is very traumatic. Fear is traumatic. It's traumatic not only to our minds, and to our thinking, but it's traumatic to our immune systems. In fact, an entire two-page spread in the latest issue of Epoch Times is dealing with fear, that it sabotages your immune system. Well, we want to talk about that here on the program today, but far more than that, the Bible talks about fear very seriously. When it says that fear has torment, It actually means that fear has torment. And indeed, the word fear appears something like 105 times in, or 103 times in the Bible. Uh, Some say that it occurs 365 times, but that, I think, is probably a misconception. Fear itself is mentioned over 500 times in the King James Version of the Bible, and that includes the reassuring fear not, and its variations as well as passages warning Christians to actively fear God. And so today we want to talk not about fearing God, but fear itself. Because you remember that FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, made the famous statement, the only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. Is that true? Is it true that the only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. Well, I guess it depends on how you're looking at it, but there are many things that, well, would engender fear, and if you're not afraid of them, in one sense, in a proper sense, you would take no action. And if you took no action, you would receive the recompense of the reward for your lack of legitimate fear. 
Well, what's the difference between a legitimate fear and an illegitimate fear? What kind of fear does God warn us against? When God says, fear not, little flock. Or when he says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. What is he talking about? What kind of fear is he talking about? And the Bible also tells us, Jesus, in in fact, warned us in Luke chapter 17, I believe it is, that the time is coming when men's hearts will fail them for fear for the things that are coming upon the earth. Does that sound like fear should be something we should talk about as Christians? Indeed, we should. And how about when you figure that the latest report coming from the World Tribune is that Project Veritas has exposed how the pharmaceutical giant Pfizer and their COVID vaccine has been a total flop. Now, if their vaccine has been a total flop, it means that your trust, the trust that you and millions of people around the world, perhaps billions, uh, put in that, that, that series of vaccines and boosters to allay your fear actually did not allay your fear at all. In fact, it created more problems. And now when you find out that it was a total flop and didn't accomplish the purpose for which it ostensibly was presented and that the governments of the world paid untold billions of dollars to uh, deepen the pockets of Pfizer, that it was all for naught. So how do you respond to that? Does that engender fear? Does it engender anger? Or maybe both. You see, sometimes fear is tangled up with a lot of other thoughts, a lot of other feelings, a lot of other emotions. And today we want to try to untangle it as best that we can so that we can deal with it. So the question before us today is how to combat fear. How can we combat fear? Believe it or not, fear defines failure. Fear destroys faith, and fear determines destiny. I want you to think about those three things because they are very, very important, not only for our life here on terra firma, that is earth, but also for our eternal destiny. Fear defines failure, fear destroys faith, and fear determines destiny. Wow. So in order for us to live by fear, obviously we can't be living by faith and living by fear at the same time. So is there legitimate fear that the Bible does not warn us against? And what kind of fear does the Bible warn us against? And what kind of fear is it that defines failure, that destroys faith, and that determines destiny? We need to define those things. We need to look at them with particularity here on the program today. And I trust that this program will be encouraging to you. It's not about being fearful. It's about being faithful, full of faith rather than full of fear, full of hope rather than full of fear or anxiety, a mild form of atheism, as some have said. And so today, we're going to continue to combat fear. Now, in one sense, you can say, well, that's like lifting yourself by your own bootstraps, isn't it? If I'm fearful, then how am I going to combat fear? Because I am fearful. Yes, 
But what causes you to be fearful? Why is it you are fearful? Is it something you own? Is it something that you uh, kind of carry as a badge of honor or identity? I say, well, I'm just a fearful one, or I'm just afraid. Okay, so you're afraid. Afraid of what? And why are you afraid of what you're afraid of? Why is it that some people can look at exactly the same situation that you have that you're afraid of, and they're not afraid at all? What's the difference? Maybe we need to look at that here on Viewpoint today, because quite frankly, if we're on the near edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that one of the preeminent characteristics of the time will be fear, massive fear and growing fear. Not just deception, but fear itself. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. When the angel came to announce the birth of Christ to uh, Mary, that she was going to be the carrier uh, of the Christ, the angel said, fear not. It seems like God, in his mercy, realizes that we can't quite handle direct divine encounters. And so he helps us by his grace and his mercy He helps us to deal with those encounters by saying, fear not. I don't know about you, but when I hear those words, fear not, I'm so encouraged, I'm strengthened, and I don't fear. Now, fear is a temptation. Did you know that? Fear is a temptation. I am tempted to fear or being tested as to whether I will fear or not fear, given a certain piece of information, given a certain situation, I am tested. Will I fear or will I not fear? Now, I've had to encounter that big time uh, in this kind of situation because, quite frankly, I spent about four years of my life in my early to mid-20s in climbing, Hiking, backpacking, rock climbing, peak climbing. And I've been in many a situation where I was seriously tempted to fear. Because I had a general fear of heights. The buddy that I was with, my climbing partner, seemed to have no fear at all. I was stronger than he was. I was a little larger than he was. But he just seemed to be fearless. Nothing seemed to faze him. Why was that? Well, it's because of the way we just approached different issues in life and so on. It doesn't mean that my fear in those circumstances was illegitimate, because almost anybody would be fearful 
having tremendous exposure, being at a, a thousand feet up in the air on the side of a of a rock cliff, uh, anchored with a rope, and you're climbing, and you look down and you see a thousand feet below you, and you know that if if you were to slip and fall, and your buddy were not to be able to belay you with the rope, that uh, it wouldn't be pretty for you. Just wouldn't be pretty at all. So I experienced that quite a bit. And I thank God that he allowed me to have those experiences so that I had to deal with fear, the temptation to fear. Another kind of temptation to fear uh, that I was exposed to is when the Lord asked me to run for public office, and I had never done so. I didn't know a thing about it, wasn't involved in politics at all, and had no money uh, to enable me to do it and had no contacts. Well, through a series of short things that took place, God introduced me to a man who introduced me to a way that would be probably the only way that I could possibly engage in fulfilling what I believe that God was asking me to do, run for the state legislature there in California without money and without any kind of political connections. He said, you're going to have to walk door to door. So I had to get uh, the precinct lists, and I had to walk door to door, over hill, over dale, hitting the dusty trail every single day after my law practice, every single day without failure. But you know what? There was kind of a built-in fear. Well, how can I do this day after day after day after day? Some people fear getting started. Other people fear completing but the way to fear, avoid fearing getting started is to get started. You have to get your feet in the starting blocks. And then you have to, when the gun goes off, you have to take off. And the rest of it is what you do between the starting gun and the starting blocks and the tape at the end of the race. Are you going to stay in it? Or are you going to quit? I think that's why Jesus said... He that endures to the end shall be saved. People are fearful. People will stop. They will not endure. They will give up because they're afraid. They're afraid they can't do it. They're afraid that they don't have the energy. They're afraid of this, that, or the other. They're afraid they're not going to be better than the next guy. Fear has many, many manifestations. Just many manifestations. But fear also has torment. Now, there are good aspects to fear. Not all fear is bad or dangerous. In fact, it can save your life. Uh, if you are out in the mountains and you're skiing, for instance, and uh, you realize that the snow is unstable in a particular area, maybe you've got a lot of gorgeous powder snow on top, but uh, down below, it's unstable. You're hearing uh, certain creaking sounds, and you realize, well, you have a legitimate fear of going across that slope or down that slope with your skis because those are signs of an avalanche. So that kind of fear will prevent you from uh, being caught in an avalanche. There are other kinds of avalanches in our lives, economic avalanches, uh, uh 
physical avalanches, disease avalanches, and so on. So there's a certain kind of legitimate fear that God does not seem to prohibit in his word. When he talks about fearing not, he's talking about a state of our minds and hearts. That's what he's talking about. And so today we're going to take a look in the uh, the next uh, segment or so of the program at uh, the physical aspects of uh, fear and how it even sabotages our immune system. And then we'll go back and we'll take a look at the bigger picture from God's viewpoint, the spiritual picture, and why this is so critically important for you and for me even defining destiny. So I have in front of me this massive article, several, two major pages in the uh, uh, Epic Times in the section called Mind and Body, just came out. And it says the world has been plagued by the COVID-19 pandemic for more than three years. It has profoundly changed our society, and many people have become generally more fearful. Generally more fearful. Now, how do we know that? Well, today, I went to the post office to uh, deliver some of the books that people had ordered. And uh, as I was standing in line, came into the postal uh, office there. There's a door. And the woman was just on the other side of the door, pointed at me. Now, why did she point at me? Well, here's the reason. I knew the reason why she pointed at me. Because she was afraid. She was petrified. She had a mask on. No masks were required, but she had a mask on. And she was standing about uh, six, seven feet on the other side of the door, and she did not want me to come inside that door lest I should get too close to her. I knew why she pointed her finger at me. She was very upset that I came inside the door so I didn't have to stand outside the door. And so I stood about six feet away from her until the line moved forward. But it revealed she was terror-stricken, in constant fear. People that are wearing masks in their cars, it's unbelievable. Why are they doing that? First of all, the masks do almost no good whatsoever, as proven and admitted by science, including Dr. Fauci. And on the other hand, even if they did, the risks out there are so minimal now. How can we possibly live in this kind of aura of fear? Well, according to doctors... This kind of fear sabotages our immune systems and makes them more vulnerable to COVID-19 infection or any other kind of infection. According to a study by a team of researchers from the University of Rochester who examined people's mental health, fear was the most prevalent issue. Fear was also the most frequently mentioned word on social media followed by keywords such as alone, failure, and depressed. Prevalent fears included death, loss of family or friends, vaccine adverse events, COVID-19 inve- uh, infection, and so on. 
Some people were afraid of contracting the virus. As a result, they received four to five doses, including booster shots, that have actually created more problems for their immune systems. So fear was actually driving them to do things that made it more dangerous for them. These people wore N95 masks and strictly observed social distancing rules. And even with masks, they were fearful of entering crowd to perform daily duties such as grocery shopping. Some people would not walk outside their homes at all. Is this the way a Christian should operate? I don't think so. If you looked at the realm of Christians in the early Roman Empire, when Christianity grew so rapidly and took over the realm, uh, the Roman realm, one of the key characteristics was that the Christians did not flee in the face of disease. They went directly to the diseased and those who needed help. It made the Christians different. They didn't walk by fear. They didn't, weren't moved by fear. They were moved by faith. Now, fear is said to be an unpleasant emotion that comes in response to danger. So it's a necessary bodily mechanism essential to our survival and can actually, in the short term, boost our immunity. But when we sense that danger is imminent, fear sends our bodies into a fight-or-flight mode which equips us with the necessary energy to either flee the danger or prepare for a flight And fear makes us more vigilant and prompts us to take protective measures that we deem useful in response to a threat like, say, COVID-19 or some other kind of a threat, say, uh, a snake in the path. But some people are so terrified of snakes that they won't even walk. So fear, you see, has torment. It can be good and helpful, God gives us that emotion that is useful, but he doesn't want us to live in it. Although about a fear can enhance our immunity and boost our chances of survival, being in a constant state of fear for a prolonged period can also create health problems and weaken our immune system. For instance, cortisol and adrenaline. You know about those. Although helpful for short vigilance, are actually stress hormones. If a person has consistently high levels of cortisol, the body will eventually become used to having an excessive amount. And that chronic elevation of cortisol can lead to increased activation of inflammatory uh, actions in and promote insulin resistance in our bodies. And the the worsened insulin resistance will in turn contribute to more inflammation and can lead to chronic inflammation of the body and a weakened immune system. So consistently high levels of adrenaline, as well as cortisol, induced by fear, can weaken the body's immune system because of their inhibitory effect on many immune cells. So in other words, the very thing that we're trying to avoid comes upon us. And it can affect our T-cells, 
and uh, macrophages and so on. Fear is a negative emotional response to a certain threat, while anxiety is the response to an uncertain threat. Well, uh, the Bible tells us also not to be anxious. Not to be anxious at all. Fear not, and don't be anxious. Why does the Bible not us want to be anxious? Because it reveals we don't trust God. That's the problem. It reveals that we don't trust God. Anxiety can be directed toward a particular thing, or it can be a generalized kind of anxiety that begins to take over our system. There's a lot of study being gone, going uh, into that, and we're not going to try to go into that here today on Viewpoint. The purpose here is not to denigrate people who have struggled with fear, but rather to talk about how to combat fear so that we can walk in boldness and in hope and with purpose and not be destroying ourselves and terrifying ourselves in a faithless life. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived, Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. Today, we're talking about this matter of fear. And uh, it's interesting because the words fear and anxiety are becoming more and more a focus uh, in the news media, in secular sources, and so on. In newspapers, in magazines, it's become a big deal. We've done a number of programs in the past over the years concerning this. But today, uh, as I saw the latest issue of uh, Epic Times, with the huge article, Fear, how it sabotages your immune system. And uh, I thought, you know what? We're going to build on this because uh, the listeners to this program are all human beings. We're all human beings. We're all tested. We're all tried. We all are facing uh, temptations to fear. We all are facing situations and uh, threats Wars and rumors of wars and all of these kinds of things. We're seeing it every single day. And to the extent how we respond to these things determines whether or not we're living by faith or living by fear. Whether we're living in a state of torment or whether we're living in a state of peace and righteousness. And God does not want us to live in a state of torment. He wants us to live in a state of peace uh, and in a state where we are in self-control, that is, 
self-control under the control of the Holy Spirit and his word so that we can walk forward in life in this time. This is the only time that you and I have to live in to do it in boldness and with courage and without the inhibition that comes from fear. So let me ask you a question. When you are faced with things that uh, are coming in the news or you're faced with a situation uh, that uh, is not pleasant or might have some ramifications to it that would not be pleasant, uh, how do you initially respond? In distress? Worry? Murmuring? Complaining? Fretting? You see, that's what the children of Israel did when they came out of Egypt. God took them out of Egypt, the iron furnace, the bondage of Pharaoh, akin to Satan. He took them out with a mighty hand. He showed them incredible signs, miracles, led them through the Red Sea. It just parted right in front of them. And they were able to walk through about three million of them. And then they were followed. On the on the heels of them came Pharaoh's chariots and horsemen. And they were petrified. The children of Israel were petrified. And they screamed at, at uh, Moses. And they said, what are you doing here? You've led us out of Egypt to be destroyed by Pharaoh's armies and they threatened to stone Moses. Here's the guy, Moses, who has performed these immense miracles with the hand of God and the rod of God, ten plagues that brought the Egyptians and Pharaoh to their, their knees. He's led them, he's going to lead them through the Red Sea, and now they're going to stone Moses. Do you see how fear has torment? Fear motivated them to destroy their very hope. The one who God had ordained to help them, but they had fear. And they were tormented by it. There's another situation in the New Testament where Jesus has been teaching now for three and a half years, and he's been performing immense miracles the likes of which the people admit they have never seen before. They say, is this that prophet? This must be the Messiah. But the religious leaders couldn't handle it. Why couldn't they handle it? There were two reasons. Number one, they were terrified that Jesus was going to take their place, and now what are we going to do? And that terror resulted in or was carried on through massive envy so that Pontius Pilate looked at the whole situation during the trial and it says he knew but for envy they brought him. But why were they envious? They were envious because they were terrified, afraid that Jesus was going to upset their apple cart and he was going to destroy their power, their perks, and their position and now what are we going to do? You see, it was like Bill Clinton said, it's the economy, stupid. 
It was about power, perks, and position. It wasn't about the kingdom of God with those religious leaders. They didn't care two hoots about the kingdom of God. It was about their kingdom. And they were afraid that Jesus and his disciples would uh, mess up their uh, retirement plans. I'm just trying to put it in terms that we can really understand today. So fear drove them to kill Jesus. It did. The very one they said that they were hoping for, the Messiah. They killed their own Savior. Now, I'm not saying this to bring a a bad name upon Jewish people. In fact, it wasn't the Jewish people as a whole. It was the Sanhedrin, and it wasn't even all of them. It was just the majority of them, the 71 elders of Israel. They were terrified they were going to lose their place and that the Romans would come and take their place. That's what they said. You see how fear shows its ugly head in so many. There are how many pastors are terrified in the same kind of fear? They're afraid somebody is going to one up them in their congregation and they'll lose their congregation. It's not their congregation. It's not their church. So we have, as human beings, we have the most strange agglomeration of fear that is all mixed up in the way that we think. And so it defines failure. It destroys faith. And it determines destiny. So, how do we combat fear? You don't want your body to be stuck in a fight-or-flight mode. That's the physical aspect. You don't want it to destroy your health, your immune system. So, in a sense, the spiritual aspect affects the physical aspect. So, if we walk in perpetual fear... Our body, our internal body has torment. Our minds have torment. And that changes the chemistry in our bodies that affects our immune systems. So what can we do? Well, the first thing that we can do in a very simple way is we can look, we can change our viewpoint. Change your viewpoint. You say, well, how do I do that? It's my viewpoint. Well, stop owning that viewpoint and change it. It doesn't have to be your viewpoint. Change your viewpoint. Let me give you an illustration. Four of my grandchildren were raised in large measure in our home. Not because their parents didn't raise them, but because they spent a great deal of time in our home because their mother who was homeschooling them, was also my right-hand person. Their mother, our oldest daughter. Some of you have talked to her. Her name is Nicole. A great woman who, without her, we could not do what we do. So, her kids spent a great deal of time in our home. 
and they gave us permission and authority to function in some respects as add-on parents. Not to demean the parents, but to work alongside the parents to help govern the whole situation. So, uh, one of the things that happened or would happen is that when I would ask some of my grandchildren to do something, and it happened to each one of them in different ways, and they would respond, but I don't want to. My response was always, 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 then change your want-tos. Change your want-tos. Well, guess what? Today, they are all ranging from 23, 24 to almost 30, all four of them now. And if I were to say, give some trigger words like, uh, uh, but I don't want to, immediately, every one of them would say, then change your want-tos. Why is that? Because it's been built into their spiritual being. That's what discipleship does. It builds the truth in applicational ways into a person's being. Change your want-tos. So guess what God would say to you if you are prone to fear? Change your want-tos. You say, but I don't know how. Well, how about starting with step one? I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Bible says, fear not. Or the psalmist says, I will not fear. What can man do unto me? In other words, fear is a matter of your will. It's not something that happens in your autonomic nervous system necessarily. The kind of fear we're talking about is something that happens by your will. You choose to fear in response to certain circumstances. So, question, do you fear God or do you fear his archenemy, Satan? If you look at the life of most Christians, they fear both God and Satan. And they fear Satan more than they fear God. Yet God says, if you fear me, then all the other things will come to you. We don't get it. We engage in the wrong fears and fear the wrong things. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church.
Interestingly, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is with uh, them. That the the uh, blessing of the Lord is with those who fear Him. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him, and to them He will show or manifest His covenant. Interesting. Over and over and over again in the Bible, dozens and dozens of times, the Bible urges us to fear God. Why is it that that seems to be such a strange thing today? It used to be common in our understanding, even in the foundations of this country. But it's almost passed out of our comprehension, even in our churches today. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the foundation for everything. So if we don't fear God, guess what? You will fear man. So which are you going to do? Which am I going to choose to do? Fear God or fear man? It's a choice. It's a choice. When people chose to get the vaccine or the jab, even when they knew that it had serious problems, why did they do it? They feared something. What did they fear? Their boss? The government? Their friends? Their family? What what did they fear? Maybe all of the above. But I can almost guarantee you they didn't fear God. Because the fear of the Lord wasn't even part of their computation when they took the jab. You see how fear, illegitimate fear, can motivate us to do things that otherwise we would never, ever do. We wouldn't contemplate doing such things, but we did anyway. And we know that fear has torment. Fear defines failure. Fear destroys faith. And fear determines destiny. So, if we don't fear God, it determines we're going to fear man. And if you fear man, you're going to fear Satan, and you're going to submit to the mark of the beast. You will. Fear will drive you to receive the mark of the beast, just like it drove you to receive the vaccine. Fear destroys your faith. The more you give in to fear, the less you give in to faith and trust in God. It's just a simple equation. Fear defines failure. You cannot, where do you know of a person who lives by fear and is a success? Hard to find them. No. So, how do we combat fear? I want to give you just a a very succinct uh, way of looking at this that I think will be very helpful to many people today. And I would take you to uh, Psalm chapter 37. This is a wonderful psalm. 
And uh, you'll find out just how, if you're not already aware of it, you're going to find out just how wonderful it is. It begins with saying, fear not. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't fear about other people. Don't fear about man. Don't fear about all the things that they can do to you. Don't fear about any of those things. So now what do we do? That's what we're going to talk about here. Commit your way unto the Lord. That's what, the, what Psalm 37 says. Right after, fear not, commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. And he will bring things to pass. Commit your way. How do I do that? You have to choose. That's a viewpoint thing. You're going to commit your way to something. So you're either going to commit it to the Lord, wholly and completely, or you're going to hold some back and reserve for yourself or for somebody else or some secondary purpose or goal. But God wants your whole heart. Not just a part. He wants all of your heart. All he wants is you. All he wants is you, the song used to say. Commit your way unto the Lord. That's your direction. That's your hopes. That's your dreams. That's your purpose. Everything about your life. Commit your way unto the Lord. And at the same time, Trust also in him. Now, you see, trust is part of that trilogy that makes the uh, the essence of the Christian faith. Believe, trust, and uh, oh, what's the other one? Anyway, believe, trust, and faith. Believe, trust, and faith. They are three aspects of the same word, the same thing. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. Next. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shall you dwell in the land and verily or truly you shall be filled. Trust in the Lord and do good. Stop trusting other things. Cast your all of your care upon him for he cares for you. And be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, is walking about seeking whom he may devour, and the way he's going to do it is through fear. And fear will lead you to frustration, failure, faithlessness, and a very unpleasant destiny. Commit your way into the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Notice it doesn't say, make a confession of faith, and he'll give you all the desires of your heart. It doesn't say that. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. If you were to read Psalm 119... It talks about the psalmist's relationship with the word of God and God himself. And he says continually, trust, uh, excuse me, meditate and delight. Meditate and delight. 
Meditate and delight in the word of God. Do you do that? If you're not doing that, friends, you are giving in to fear. You have to be giving in to fear because you're leaving everything to your flesh. So that the thing you don't want to do, you do. And the thing that you want to do, you don't do. Commit your way into the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. In other words, trust is not just a feeling. It's an action. It's, it reveals something that I am. It's part of my being. I trust God, no matter what. I delight myself in the Lord, in his word. I meditate on it day and night. And then finally, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Now, that patience part is a tough one, isn't it? Because we're all tempted to impatience. I want what I want. I want it now. Lord, I cried out to you yesterday. How come you haven't answered me yet? And it's just 24 hours later. Well, you see, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. And with God, time doesn't mean what it means to you or to me. And he has his plan, he has his purposes, and he knows the end from the beginning, and he knows the best trajectory that is going to work out to accomplish his purposes in your life and in mine. Many mornings, as my wife and I wrap up our time in the Word together early on, and I, I conclude our time together in, in prayer, various types. Oftentimes, I will cry out to the Lord in thanksgiving from Paul's writing where he says, I'm confident that you are working in and through me both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Are you confident of that? Are you confident that God is working in and through you both to will and to do his good pleasure? Then why are you so fearful? Why are you running around in anxiety, fretting, wringing your hands, murmuring, complaining? That's what kept the children of Israel out of, out of the promised land, friends. They kept murmuring, they kept complaining, they were fearful, uh, even when God proved over and over and over and over again his care for them, they just never could bring it around to trust him. So finally God said, away with you. I cannot let you into my promised land. You'll defile it. So he said, you said you wanted to go back to Egypt? You had a hankering to go back to Egypt and have the leeks and onions and garlic of Egypt? Okay, so be it. In effect, you're all going to die in the wilderness. Not one of you that I brought out of Egypt of an adult age is going to enter the promised land except two, and that's Joshua and Caleb, because they had another spirit. 
What was that other spirit? Let me give you a clue. When Moses sent the spies ahead of each one of the tribes of Israel into the promised land to check it out, to see if it was a land flowing with milk and honey, if it was a great land just as God had said it was going to be. And after 40 days of testing, they came back and they brought back the great S-call and they brought back, and and it it was great. They gave a tremendous report. They said, it's just like God said, but, but, or nevertheless, there be giants in the land and we're not able to overcome them. We're just not able because we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. And so we are in our own eyes. And uh, Joshua and Caleb said, wait, 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 wait a minute. Shut your mouths, guys. Yes, there are giants in the land, but we are well able to go in and overcome them. Why? Because God already said he gave us the land. So who do you guys think you are as the heads of Israel, the tribes of Israel, to play games in fear, saying we can't go into the promised land when God already said, I gave it to you? You get the point? Fear kept them out of the promised land. And only two men of accountable age that God brought out of Egypt were allowed into the promised land. Why? because they refuse to live by fear, but live by faith. Committing, trusting, delighting, and resting in the Lord. What a story. And you know what the Apostle Paul said about that in 1 Corinthians 10? He said, those things happen to them for our example, unto whom the ends of the world are come. Therefore, take heed that what happened to them doesn't happen to you. How to combat fear. Well, you could say how to live by faith. Yeah. Fear has torment, friends. Don't let it grip your life. Now's the time to deal with it because things are going to get tougher. Get a copy of my book, The Secret of the Lord. Talks about how to walk in the fear of the Lord. And uh, it's a hardbound book. $23 book, yours for $18. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. God bless, be a blessing, and let's walk by faith, not by sight or by fear. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.